Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. James has been telling us how we ought to live out our faith throughout this book. And sometimes you have to look at how we ought not to live out our faith. And that's kind of where he is today, dealing with kind of the subject of greed. So allow me to read this passage, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and the rust will be a witness against you, and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, and which have been withheld by you, cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and lived a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, open our hearts to these truths. Lord, help us to examine our own hearts to see if there is evidence of greed in our own lives. To know that, Lord, this is against your will. Lord, you're not condemning wealth, but you are condemning the wrong attitude towards it. Lord, help us to understand these truths. Lord, guide us, and then use us as we leave this place to live out the truths that you teach us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the question is, how greedy are we? You know, we, no matter who we are, we have a little bit of greed. We always would love to have a little bit more than what we have. Kind of human nature, but let me kind of give a disclaimer before we get into the meat of this lesson. Riches and wealth are not inherently evil. If they were, then God would have condemned Abraham, Job, David, Solomon, many others that we see in the Bible that God had blessed with wealth. And we even know that it is God who blessed them. So wealth and you know, material things in themselves are not evil. It is not the money that is the root of all evil. It is the love or the greed for money that is the root of all evil. A lot of people misquote the Bible there. They say money is the root of all evils. It isn't. It's the love of money, the desire, the lust, the greed for money. That is the root of all evil. You know, covetousness is the last part of the uh, Ten Commandments, which deals with greed, deals with this lust for other things that don't belong to you. But if you look at all the other Ten Commandments, you probably see a little bit of that in most of them. And so we look and we see that the riches and the wealth, they're not evil, but what God is dealing with is our attitude towards them. It is the heart of desiring to have these riches and wealth that condemn us. It is the, that lustful desire to have more and more, regardless of how we come to gain it. So 
uh, we look at this and we see that in verse 1 it says, Riches can be a misery. Verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. What is he saying there? Does that mean that everybody who is rich it should be weeping and howling and that they will have misery come upon them? Will they all be judged simply because they're rich? We know that that's not true. What we see is that wealth in and of itself is not the evil part. It is the attitude towards it. It is the threat of judgment for being unfaithful with what God gives us and not trusting Him to provide for our needs. So God will judge not only the unfaithful, the unchristian, the, the lost, but He will also judge us as Christians for our attitude towards wealth. So what is the outcome of greed? We've got to look at verses 2 and probably the first part of verse 3 to see. It says, Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you. Now, in the days that this was written, that James wrote this, wealth was primarily seen in crops in, position, in uh, possessions of things, and one of the greatest things that was used to trade with was crops, grain, things of this nature, flour. These were the biggest commodities that people needed. They, they needed the grain, the flour, to, to make their bread. Bread was a huge part of their diet. Bread, oil, uh, things of this nature, these were what most people survived off of. And so having the crops, if you remember back at the parable that I've shared before where Jesus tells the parable of a man who basically has a bumper crop come in. And he says, my barns won't hold it all. So I know what I'll do. I'll tear down all my barns. I'll build bigger ones so that I can store all of this grain. And Jesus at the end says, oh, but your soul is due to me today. Who then is going to inherit what you have so proudly put together? Because this man had not looked at God. He said, I will take rest. I will build new barns. I will do all these things. And I will sit back and rest and be merry, for I have so much. So we look and we see again, it's not the wealth. It's not the riches. It is the attitude towards them that, that God is condemning. So he's basically saying, your wealth, your riches are rotting. How does that happen? We tend to think about riches and wealth as our numbers in our bank accounts. And you know, we have very little of our wealth in our hands. It's basically all electronic, if you be honest with you. It is a bunch of zeros and ones in some kind of computer system that tells us how wealthy we are. You know, we don't have the crops on hand as a general rule. So we look at this and sometimes we struggle with understanding what it's saying. But basically, just like that man in the parable that Jesus talked about, many of these who are wealthy had their wealth in their crops stored up. And there's something about grain in a barn. Insects can get in it and eat it. It can actually rot if it's not rotated correctly. Fungus can get into it and destroy the wealth of it. Uh, so basically he's saying your, your, your riches are rotted. 
Then he says, and your garments are moth-eaten. Well, again, going back to the day of James writing this, the large majority of the garments were made of wool because sheep were very plentiful and wool was a commodity that they used to produce clothing. And one thing about wool, moths love to eat it. And so these rich love to flaunt their wealth by what they wore. If you look at the common person of that day, here's what they typically owned for their entire wardrobe. They didn't need a closet. They didn't need a drawer. They had the tunic that they were wearing. And if they were blessed enough, they had an additional tunic that they could put on while the other one was getting a little cleaned up. Then they had an outer coat that they would use more as a blanket than anything else and to protect them against some of the weather elements. And they had a pair of sandals. That's it. But the wealthy, they would go to the extravagance. They would hire people to dye their wool. They would, they would put embroidery on it. They would show their wealth by what they were wearing. And then they would parade around town. They would make sure that they were at the city gates for everybody who came into town could see them. Or they'd be standing on the street corners doing whatever they wanted to do so that they would be seen by others. And now... James, being used by God to say, in your garments, they're becoming moth-eaten. Well, today, suits tend to be still made out of wool, but we don't buy a lot of wool clothes anymore. Most of our stuff has polyester and nylons and all sorts of other things that moths really don't like to eat. But here's what still happens. our clothes can still wear out and heaven forbid they actually go out of style and we quit wanting to wear them and so we got to buy new ones to keep up with what the fashion statement says in our world today then James brings out in your gold and your silver have rusted do gold and silver rust I don't think so these precious metals are known for not rusting they can get tarnished, but a little bit of elbow grease can polish them back up. So what does he mean by that your gold and silver have rusted? It's not about the metals themselves. It's about the valuation of them. How are you using this wealth? Is it being used by God, which God would glorify, God would bless, God would use for his honor and glory? Or are you using it simply for your own gain? to show off your wealth, to gain even more things. So basically what he is saying is that this condemnation is more about the use of these precious metals, gold and silver, than the actual valuation of them. But you know what? Even in today's time, gold and silver, the valuation of it can fluctuate greatly. And so you, you know, very few people actually have gold. They go through a, a gold exchange and they actually buy gold, but they just basically get a certificate that says, you own this amount of gold. But then you have to go at the gold exchange market and find out, well, what does it, what is it worth today? And what is it going to be worth a month from now or a year from now? And there's no telling what the difference may be. And so we look and we see that God is saying, why are you so dependent? 
on your crops, on your clothing, and on your precious metals. All that can be gone just like that. Your crops can rot. Your clothes can wear out or be moth-eaten. And one other thing about your gold and silver, they didn't have safety deposits back then. They didn't have gold exchanges where you basically just bought it but didn't have it on your person. If you had gold and silver back then, you were a prime target for thieves. And they could break in and take it and you would no longer have it. And so the valuation of your gold and silver would be absolutely zero. And so why are you so dependent on these material things is basically what God is saying. Then he says, these are a witness against you. Because of your love for these things, for your wealth, your love for money, your, your love for riches, your love for wealth, and how you parade around with it and how you flaunt it, this is Exhibit A in a court of law before God Almighty. It is now a witness against you. Notice what he's saying, and it will consume your flesh like fire. It is eating away at your very character. God is looking at the effect of this love of money and this greed and this lust for things. He's saying it is burning you with this lustful desire. It is eating away. It is consuming you. Folks, why would we allow anything material to consume us when God basically says, trust me, I will take care of all your needs. And for most people who are truly faithful to the Lord, he gives us far beyond what we need. So we need to show faith in God instead of faith in our wealth. So we look and we see that God is very serious about this. All throughout James, we've been looking at how to live out our faith. This is not how to do it. This is placing your faith in things instead of God. This is saying, I trust what I have and what I have gained and who I am instead of who God has created me to be and what he has provided me to use as a ministry to others. So the question is, well, where did they go wrong? How did they get into this predicament? Well, it really comes down to their heart. What is driving their heart? Why do they do what they do? Well, here's one of the evil things they did. Look at verse 4. Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which have been withheld by you. Cry out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Did you know that if you hire people to work and they do a full day's work and you don't pay them, you can gain some wealth? Well, let me read three different passages from the Old Testament dealing with this subject. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 13 says, Woe to him who builds his house without righteousness and his upper rooms without justice, who uses his neighbor's services without pay and does not give him his wages. Woe to them, condemned for this action. Leviticus 19.13 you shall not oppress your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, 
whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land and your town. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart on it, so that he will not cry out against you to the Lord, and it becomes sin in you. Do you understand what the Word of God is saying? Pay your debts. If somebody does something for you, pay them what they're worth. Now, there are still some day laborers in our society, but most people live and work, and they either get paid weekly, every two weeks, bi-monthly, monthly, something along that nature. And so their wages are actually withheld until after they have completed at least a week's worth of work. But in that day, the common laborer were day laborers. They were not always working for the same person day by day. And so if they worked in one person's field and completed that, then they'd be moving on to another person's field to mow and to reap and to harvest. And so as soon as they got through with that one day of work, they were expecting to get paid. And so the foreman would always be there as the day closed, basically at sundown when they could not work any longer because there's no longer any sunlight to work with. And he would pay each person their daily wage. Now, these people lived day by day. They depended on that daily wage so they could go and purchase flour and whatever else it was that they needed for their family to survive. And so basically what James is condemning is that these rich people were hiring people to do work for them and then not paying them. The, the, the very people who had the greatest ability to pay were cheating the lowest and the most needy people in society. And basically, they had very little recourse. Most of the common laborers could not really sue a rich person in the city. They could try, but more than likely, because of the status and the position that the person had in the society, no judge was ever going to judge against them, especially against a little commoner that had no name, no, no ability to bribe the judge, no ability to say, do you know who I am? And so they had very little recourse. So what did they do? They had no earthly judge to cry out to. They cried out to their heavenly judge. They cried out to the throne of God, to heaven itself. And what does it say? Their cry has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Their cry is a condemnation against the rich, the powerful, and the greedy. And God, again, has more and more exhibits to condemn them by. So we look, we see in verse 5, a warning of living a life of wanton pleasures. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your heart in the day of slaughter. Now, basically, these people see absolutely nothing wrong with what they are doing. They are proud of themselves of shortcutting other people, cutting corners, robbing other people, and basically is what they were doing so that they could have more and more and more. And basically what they're doing is they're taking that money and living 
a life of luxury, and they're so proud of it. And they're saying, look at me. Look at all that I have. Look at who I am. Look at all my possessions. Look at my position in life. Look at my power and prestige and all this. They became their own gods. What does God say to them? You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. Now, Brother Jacob, I am not an expert on cattle, but I do know that cattle are typically out in the field and they have to wander around and they have to pull up the grass, then they chew on it for a while and, and they go through pasture after pasture after pasture having to do this for their entire life. And then comes the day that it's about time to sell them off. And they put them on a feed lot where they really don't have to work too hard. They have this rich grain feed for them to really get fattened up. And they probably think, look, I have finally arrived. I don't have to wander around from pasture to pasture eating the grass, finding it, eating it. It's sitting right here in front of me and it's good stuff. And so they eat and they eat and they eat and they get fatter and fatter only for this thing to happen. When they get fat enough, when the time comes, they're slaughtered. What's happening with these people? They're fatting themselves up for the slaughter. They are preparing themselves for God's judgment, and God's judgment will come. So it would be so easy for us to say, well, these are lost people. They don't have God in their hearts. Folks, there's so much greed in the life of a Christian that's so ungodly. Verse 6 says, You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. That's a sad, sad condemnation. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man who does not resist you. Well, who is the righteous man? Basically, he's really talking about the poor and needy, the ones who are trusting God for their very day's worth of food. They work hard. They work in the fields. They work an entire day just so that they can get enough money to buy the flour and the oil and whatever else their family has to have just to survive. He says, you have put them to death. Is that possible that they are actually putting them to death? Well, let's put yourselves in the day of a day laborer. Maybe difficult for us to do that. You need today's wages so that you can feed your family tonight. What if the end of the day comes and there's no foreman around? Or he says, my master is out of town. He's got the money. Come back tomorrow. Work another day, and we'll pay you for two days. And then they come back and work a second day, and there's still no money at the end of the day. What happens if that happens three or four days in a row? Or like we read in the Old Testament, where an entire house is being built, and they would not pay their laborers. Folks, there could be starvation. If there was a sick person in the family, they could easily die before they got the nutrients that they needed simply because this rich person would not pay what was rightfully theirs. And they don't care. 
They're just peons. They're just commoners. They don't mean anything to me. What are we going to lose if a poor person dies? They can't contribute to my wealth. Well, they kind of can because I'm not, ta- I'm not paying them, so I'm taking their wages. That's basically the condemnation. You're condemning these people to death. You're harming them because of your own greed. How do you think God looks at things, at people like that? How do you think that God looks at a person who has great wealth and the ability to be a blessing to others, and yet they say, no, it's all mine, it's all mine, it's all mine? Well, that's the heart of too many people outside the church and inside the church. One of the Old Testament passages said, pay your laborers, even the aliens who come into your town. Do you know who some of the most abused people in our nation are? Those who cross our border, mostly illegally, some legally, but the illegal aliens that come across our border, I cannot blame them at all. They're looking for a better life than what they have lived in, and most of them hire out as day laborers. They hire out to work in the fields. They hire out to reap the crops. And if they don't work or if they complain, you know what happens? Somebody says, well, you don't have a green card, do you? I'll just report you and you will be sent back to your own country. That threat keeps them from gaining what they probably rightfully should have. And that's the heart of so many in our world today. Let me see how much more I can get by whatever means necessary. We're looking at ourselves today and we're saying, that, that's not talking about us. You mean you don't have any greed whatsoever in your heart? You don't look at the, what another person has and say, oh, I wish I had that. Or you look at somebody else that they've worked hard, they've earned what they have, they've not shortcut anything, but they have more than you do. And you say, man, I wish I had their retirement account. I wish I had their bank account. I wish I had a nice car or a nice house like that. Be happy with what God's given you. See, we need to trust in God in all things, not in ourselves. God is our provider, and we need to allow him to provide. So what about today? What about us? We all have a little tendency towards greed. We all have a tendency to want a little bit more than what we have. But what we need to understand is that, first, God meets our needs. By his standard, what he considers to be our needs. See, we had this problem with saying our wants are our needs. I would like to have this, but it's not really a need. But God, won't you just give me that? Well, here's what God does. He tests us. He says, let me give you this and see what you do with it. If you are found faithful, if you become a good steward of what I've given you, then I will be able to trust you with more. And then if I can trust you with that, then I can trust you with more. And as we become good stewards, using it in a way that honors God, 
whether it's to meet our own needs or to help meet the needs of others around us, then God says, I can trust you with even more. We need to be found faithful to God, to trust Him so that He can trust us. As we trust the Lord to meet our needs, then He will bless us with even more. And as He does, may we be found faithful with that so that he can see that we're good stewards with all that he's given us. We may never be what we consider rich or wealthy, at least in the eyes of man, but God will look, look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's exactly who I want to bless. So let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Lord, we have to just confess to you that we all have a degree of greed in our own hearts and lives. Lord, it's hard to see the wealth and the, all the things that others around us have and not wish that we had maybe a little bit more than what we do. Lord, take away that greed. Take away that lustful desire for that which is not ours. Instead, Lord, help us be satisfied. Help us to know that what we have is truly a gift from you. And Lord, that we can trust that whatever you've given us is enough. It's what you desire us to have. Lord, may we glory in that. Lord, if you desire to bless us beyond our needs, then help us to make sure that we are good stewards and use it in a way that honors you and ministers to the needs around us. Help us to always be focusing on you and others instead of ourselves. Lord, thank you for the gifts that you've given us. Lord, not only financially or materially, but Lord, the gifts of service, the spiritual gifts that you've given us, the talents and abilities that you've given us to be able to, to do things so that we can work, so that we can help others. Help us, Lord, to simply be found faithful to you in all that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.